This episode of Scandal Water contains adult themes and descriptions of violence. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hey, Ashley. Hello, Candy. You ready for this? I am ready for this. I'm ready for more murder, mystery, and madness. Here you go. What do you know about the play Waitress? Oh, 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 is this is sad. Okay, I already know where you're going. I haven't seen the play. Okay. I've not seen the play. Uh, the music is beautiful. I've never heard the music either. Oh, it's beautiful. Okay. Very, very beautiful. The movie that it is based on, also, I loved it. I saw it when it first came out. Okay. Now I know exactly where you're going with this. Mm-hmm. I know little, a lot about this case. Okay. So I'm very interested to see what you're going to share with us. Because I experienced it all when it happened. Did you really? Okay. I did, yes. Go ahead. Let's just hear a little bit about your experience and what mm-hmm. you know. Okay. Well, this episode, I'm assuming, is about Adrienne Shelley. It is. Okay. So she had already passed away by the time the movie came out. Yes. And there was that bittersweetness of watching the film because we knew she was already gone. Mm. And seeing her in the film, it was first reported that she had committed suicide. Right. And her husband was adamant that, no, she mm-hmm. would not have done that. She lived for her daughter. She yes. was too much invested in her her career. And her daughter even appears in Waitress as right. the main character's daughter. He just kept pushing, no, no, I know her. She would not have done this. And they figured it out eventually that she had been killed that someone had broken into the apartment where they were or her her workspace or something like that and that he had tried to rob her and he had killed her and he had staged it to look like a suicide Mm -hmm. and the only reason she died is because of the staging of the suicide so the attack did not kill her it was when he left her that that's what killed her and i think they only caught him because of footprints outside Mm -hmm. of the window wow okay well you you always Surprise me by how much background knowledge you have about things. You're right on it. Okay. And we're, a few of the details were a little different in my research, but okay. you pretty much nailed it. Okay. But, but let's go ahead and just dig into the mm-hmm. whole story. It's so sad. Oh. <sighs> All right. So I've never seen Waitress and I'm going to tell you, it really hasn't even been on my radar that much. Okay. In fact, just this past November was when my awareness was heightened because all of a sudden I noticed a lot of my friends on Facebook were posting pictures in the audience of the Broadway series in Louisville. Louisville. Right. Mm -hmm. PNC Broadway in Louisville actually made Waitress their first show since the pandemic. Yeah. So it was a big deal. It is a big deal. A lot of our friends being in the theater, Mm -hmm. they went. I remember thinking, this really must be a great show, but Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what it was about. Have you seen the movie since? No. But but even being so unaware, when you said how sad it is and how tragic, I was immediately drawn into this woman's story. Like, it is just the most 
most heartbreaking thing. Yeah. This family story is how I'm going to yes. say it because it's not just hers. Nathan Fillion, uh, Carrie Russell, Andy Griffith. It was one mm-hmm. of his last roles. Yeah. And yeah. the way they have kept her name alive, the people in that film. Well, we're, we're going to get into that. Very brief summary from Wikipedia says, the film follows Jenna, a waitress and a pie chef living in the American South who unexpectedly becomes pregnant and feels trapped in an unhappy marriage. Yeah. Looking for a way out, she sees a pie contest and its grand prize as her chance. This movie, which later becomes a musical, Waitress, had music and lyrics written by, how do you say it? Sarah Borellis? Borellis, thank you. And the book written by Jesse Nelson, all of that was based on Adrian Shelley's film, Waitress. This musical has been nominated for more than 15 Tony Awards mm-hmm. and has had two wins for Christopher Fitzgerald for Outstanding Featured Actor in a Musical. But the sad part is, as you've already said, Adrienne Shelley never knew all that. Yeah. She never got to see what happened with her work and mm-hmm. then what it prompted later. So let's dig into this. This indie film, Waitress, mm-hmm. that came out in 2007 was written by Adrienne Shelley. Adrienne had worked on that film for almost two years. She wrote it. She directed mm-hmm. in it. She played one of the lead roles in it. Not the lead, as you've said, that was Carrie Russell who played the actual lead of the character Jenna. But Adrienne played one of the supporting characters, mm-hmm. one of the other waitresses. So in November of 2006, which was just prior to the film's release, Adrienne was in an amazing place because she knew her movie, Waitress, had a very strong chance of winning a spot at the Sundance Festival, Mm -hmm. which, as we know, is a huge deal. That's a huge deal. deal. That's a huge deal. And this makes sense. You said November of 2006. Mm -hmm. So I think probably what drew me to her back then, I would have been 26 years old. Uh, I was right in the first decade of my career of theater, but I had always wanted to do film. mm -hmm. So I started doing theater because... I back then you couldn't afford to make independent films right. like you can now you know you can mm-hmm. have minimal equipment and still do good things and so I admired this woman yes. who was writing directing acting in, and she was living the life I was aspiring to one day I hoped so right. that's another reason it hit me so hard that this happened to her. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Well, on top of this hugely exciting event that she was anticipating, she was also in a, an amazing place. Personally, she had this daughter that she mm-hmm. absolutely adored. Mm-hmm. She had not had Sophie until she was 38 years old, and she had wanted children all her life. So this was a very long and highly anticipated thing. Mm-hmm. And when she gave birth to this beautiful daughter, Sophie, she was over the moon. Yeah. And at this point in her life, in 2006, Sophie is not quite three. She's almost three, not quite. So Adrian was loving her life. Yeah. She is not only a working actress, writer, and director, filmmaker. She's a mom and a wife yeah. who's got it all. I have not seen the film in a very long time, but I will tell you that in the film, what I remember is that Carrie Russell doesn't want the baby. Mm-hmm. She's going to have the baby, but she, right. does, she doesn't know how she's going to feel about it. And she's kind of res- a little bit resentful of getting pregnant by her husband, who she does not love. He's abusive. Right. And so she falls into this relationship with her doctor, played by Nathan Fillion. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is a spoiler alert. If you don't want to hear my impression of the the film, just fast forward 30 seconds. So after she has the baby, she is looking at the baby. And the effect that Adrian used is that everything in the background went blurry, Mm. except for this baby. And she was just, Carrie Russell's character was like, oh, hello. And it was this... That gave me tingles. I know. It was this... I don't know if she said that, but it was that moment of a mother absolutely falling in love with her child. Wow. And that just... I mean, it's tearing me up now, but just to think how she portrayed and she had to have been feeling that Mm -hmm. with her own daughter. So she was... I don't... Of course, we know she wanted her daughter, but she was portraying this character and the moment you fall in love with your child. I thought it was so well done. 
Yeah. And it was incredibly personal. Yes. Be, I mean, because she was pregnant yes. while writing that film. Oh. So her emotions, mm-hmm. she really wanted it. But mm-hmm. even so, how heightened would everything be yeah. if you were in that And how everything place? else goes blurry. Oh, I, oh, wow. Yeah, that gave me tingles. Mm. So anyway, as we were saying, in 2006, November, at this time, she's on top of the world. And so when her husband, Andy Ostroy, walked into the Manhattan apartment that she rented and used as her office space to work and to write on November 1st, 2006, and he found her hanging from a shower rod, he knew immediately she had not done this to Mm -hmm. herself, Mm -hmm. even though that was the conclusion the detectives immediately came to. Mm -hmm. Her mom also said, no way. She remembers absolutely refusing to accept that her daughter had taken her life, especially because of this incredible devotion to her daughter, yeah. Sophie. Yeah. Her mom, Elaine, was quoted as saying, this was the time of her life. Yeah. This was it, the time she'd wanted her whole life. And she wanted to kill herself? No, doesn't match. Yeah, she refused. Both of them, mom and husband, were so adamant, and then they were proven to be right. 40-year-old Adrian was murdered mm-hmm. at one of the happiest and arguably one of the most promising times of her entire life. And so her tragic death is, of course, what we're focused on on this episode. But let's go back to the beginning. Adrian Shelley was actually born Adrian Levine on June 24th, 1996 in Queens, and she was raised with two brothers. Now, one of the most traumatic events in her young life was that she lost her dad, Sheldon Levine, at a very young age. She was only 12 when he died Mm. suddenly of a heart attack. Mm. Well, just think of her mother then. Her mother lost her husband, and then she suddenly, and then she lost her daughter suddenly. Yeah. That's horrible. How tragic is that? And you know that that her dad meant a lot to her because, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but eventually when she does become an actress, yeah, and take a stage name, that's where she comes up with Shelly, because Sheldon, his nickname was Shelly, and so she took his nickname as her last name, made it her stage name. So as a tribute to him, she was a gift gifted singer and dancer and began performing at a very young age. They estimate it was around 10 when she started performing in school plays and anything she could get into. And then when she hit college age, she studied film production at Boston University, but she dropped out a year early to go ahead and start pursuing acting in Manhattan. Her breakthrough role came in 1989 in the independent film Hal Hartley's The Unbelievable Truth, followed by the movie Trust in 1990. And so those two parts are what then opened the door for her to gain a lot of other roles. They said they were a lot of ingenue roles in indie movies. You obviously have seen her, so you were very familiar. I was looking at pictures, and I could see why you would want to cast this woman, because first of all, she's adorable. She's she petite. Adorable. She's, they said she was five foot two. She's blonde with a beautiful smile. They said she had a very outgoing, bubbly personality, mm-hmm. the kind of person, very mm-hmm. cheerful, that you would want to work with. So I could see where she would gather, you know, gain Capture a lot of... your heart. Yeah, gain a lot of attention. People would want to cast this woman. By 2006, she had starred in more than 20 films, including a few that were more mainstream. An example they gave was 2005's Factotum that had Matt Dillon, Lily Taylor, and Marissa Tomei in it. Okay, I haven't seen that. Yeah, so she had some bigger films too. And she also helped found a theater company and started writing some of her own material, which was important to her. Uh And she staged her first short play in 1993. Oh, cool. Very cool. Along the way, she married her husband, Andy Ostroy, who we'd already mentioned. He was a chairman and CEO of a marketing firm, which it sounds like he owned and ran because it was called Bellardi Ostroy. It was like oh, um, okay. two partners. Mm-hmm. They met in 2001 on Match.com, and were married in 2002. And then it said in one source that they had Sophie in 2003. The other one said 2002. So I'm not exactly okay. sure when her birthday fell. 
at the time her mom died in 2006, she was just short of three. Mm. Okay. So before we go on, I really want to stop for a second and talk about a very important source for this episode. It's actually not a source that I've seen myself, but it has been so relevant and so important that it's sparked a number of articles and interviews that were written about it. And a lot of this information, when you trace it back, that's where it comes from. Okay. And what this is, is a documentary created by Adrian's husband, Andy Ostroy, just recently. Yes. Has it come out yet? Because I saw December 1st. It started um, streaming. It premiered on HBO and HBO Max. Okay. So it is very, very recent. So apparently, after 20 some odd years of running that marketing firm, he dipped his hand into becoming a first-time director and producer in the course of making this documentary about his wife. Mm. It's called Adrian. It's only been out a few months. It started streaming on December 1st of 2021, and it includes all of these personal clips from events like Sophie's birthday party, Mm. their wedding, a Halloween party. It has interviews with family members and friends. It has just a wealth of material based Mm. on what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to this in a second, but it has something very surprising. We'll get to that. But it had interviews. And one of the other sources that I'm pulling from right now is a Forbes article that was written about this documentary, and it includes an interview with Andy. So I'm going to pull some quotes from that here in a second. According to what Andy said, or what the documentary revealed about Adrian, one thing we know was that by her late 20s, she had grown jaded a little bit. Mm. She was disgusted with the sexism that was pervasive in Hollywood. She felt like there was this pressure to stay hot or relevant. Mm. And that's not what, you know, she respected women. She felt like women were much more important than just their appearance. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was a quote from her. This was from a clip taken on her 30th birthday where she said, I think I spent a lot of my 20s as if I was in some dark adventure of some kind, not really, really feeling myself alive. And I feel like a real desire to not live my life that way anymore. She was a strong woman who had big goals. Mm -hmm. And so she took that dissatisfaction she had with the way Hollywood was kind of putting women in this sexual, sexualized role. And she decided she was going to do something about it. Her husband, again, Andy, there's going to be a lot of things from Andy. He was quoted as saying in that same interview for Forbes magazine that, quote, as an artist, she had a truly unique voice and a powerfully feminist message. And she fought hard in a pre-Me Too world to ensure sure it ended up on screen. Mm. From these clips in the documentary, it shows Adrian speaking out a long time before the Me Too movement had ever come to pass about issues, again, such as the sexualization within the film industry, feeling like women were not offered the same kinds of roles that were offered to men. Mm -hmm. She also expressed her own strong desire to get behind the camera and to focus on female-driven stories. And all of this is what led her to her indie film, Waitress. Mm. Waitress was a massive undertaking, and it was one that clearly meant a lot to Adrienne. We've already said that. To repeat, she wrote it during the time when she was pregnant with her own daughter, Sophie, and she had to fight to get it off the ground. It talked on IMDb that in order to get the funding to even film the movie, Adrian held a staged reading of the screenplay and she had this whole host of famous actors who appeared in the reading, but a few of them I think you might recognize would be Gretchen Maul, Amy Sedaris, and Paul Rudd. Mm. And by the way, Paul Rudd is spe- 
specifically mentioned as being a friend of Adrian. So I think they really had a close relationship. Mm -hmm. And then after getting the funding, the film itself, of course, we said took her almost two years of work. So this was not only a labor of love, it was an important step for her in terms of really pushing herself forward and achieving her goals of expanding beyond acting into writing and directing and filmmaking. All of those big things. The second half of her life. mm -hmm, What she knew she wanted to do. We already had that one brief summary, but here's another summary of Waitress found on IMDb. Jenna is a small town waitress at Joe's Diner who has a great knack at making delicious pies there. However, Jenna is an unhappy marriage to her controlling and immature husband, Earl, who always takes the money she works hard for, but Jenna keeps some of it hidden from him. Jenna suddenly finds her life has taken an unexpected turn when she discovers she's pregnant with Earl's baby, but the unhappy pregnancy changes Jenna's life as she becomes determined to win the $25,000 pie contest prize money and begins an affair with her handsome married gynecologist that gives her confidence and an attempt at happiness. Mm -hmm. Does that sound fair to you? Mm -hmm. It does. Okay. As we said, Adrian gave Carrie Russell the lead role and the part of Jenna while she and Cheryl Hines. Cheryl Hines. I could not think of her name. I knew Cheryl something. They played the supporting roles of those two friends who also worked in the diner with Jenna. The movie, of course, was released posthumously in 2007. And then, of course, it was Adrian's final movie. It was her final movie appearance. Her daughter was shown right at the end of the movie, walking away, holding the hand of the character Jenna. Like that's supposed to be Jenna's daughter. Yeah. Toddler little Sophie. Was it done? Do you know if it was, was it finished as far as Adrian was concerned? Was it a finished film or did someone have to finish it for her? Everything I read leads me to believe it it was was finished. finished. It had already been submitted to Sundance. They were just waiting for the acceptance. All right. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought too. Side note, I looked at the credits. It also mentioned that Andy had a brief little appearance somewhere in the movie. Andy Griffith? No, Andy, her husband. Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh, she neat. used him at some point, probably just as a little extra or something. Okay. So point is, it was a clear that Adrian's heart and soul were in this movie. It was very personal to her. It was a huge achievement. And all of that takes us back, of course, to the day she died on November 1st, 2006. Adrian was in a great place. It's clear. She was feeling very hopeful. So that morning, of course, Andy had no idea that anything was wrong when he drove Adrian from their home in West Village and dropped her off at the Abingdon Square apartment where she did her work at 9.30 a.m. before then going off to his own office. He remembered that, quote, I just watched her walk away into the building and that was the last time I saw her. He also reflected later that they'd gotten a late Later start that morning than they usually did and later he was glad that they'd had a little extra time together that yeah. morning yeah. he was really busy at work that day but at some point he realized he hadn't heard from her and that hit him as being very unusual and of course then he started trying to contact her and at that time it wasn't a texting situation he tried to call her cell phone he tried the landline he also emailed her none of that got a response and mm. this is when he started to get really concerned so did he did she just walk in to the murder basically first thing that morning no okay no It said that he became even more concerned when he found out the nanny hadn't heard from her because that was incredibly unusual. And it was at this point where he said, quote, I had this intuition that something really awful had happened. And this is when he decided to go check on her. Mm. When Adrian didn't answer the intercom, he went up and he found the door to her apartment unlocked. And that's when he said the panic set in. In his description of walking into the apartment, Andy talked about how wrong it felt because the room was just so still and silent. And the only noise was from the TV that was playing and it was on this CNN 
CNN channel. And it gave me the impression that he just expected she would have been out there greeting him and talking yeah. to him. And that silence just yeah, absolutely. Him. Yes, absolutely. And then, of course, he went into the bathroom and he discovered her body. Gosh, that's horrible that he had to curtain. discover her. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But... Even though it clearly had the appearance of suicide, and that, as we said, was the conclusion the detectives immediately came to, you've already clearly, you know, pointed us towards the fact that her family members were dogged in yeah. their... Thank goodness they were. Yeah. Because this would have been her legacy, you know? Right, exactly. If they had not, if they had just accepted it and been like, well, I guess there was something we didn't know, we would be talking about the suicide of Adrian Shelley, which mm -hmm. would have been wrong. Yeah, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but later there's a quote from the detective who helped to break the case, and he said that that was one of the things that made him feel grateful was that he was able to find out the truth for Sophie yes. so that yes. she knew that her mother yes. had not made that decision herself. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was an important point. But again, Andy and Adrian's other family members challenged it immediately. They were adamant. They were insisting that Adrian would never do this, mainly because of, of Sophie. And because of their pushing, the detectives investigated more carefully. And this is when they found out, of course, that it was not a suicide situation. Before we go on and, and talk more about how this played out, should we take a short break? Hey friends, this is Ashley. When Candy and I plan our episodes, sometimes a topic and a specific date coincide with a kind of synchronicity that's too specific to be a coincidence. Today, March 8th, is International Women's Day. According to History.com, it is a global celebration of the economic, political, and social achievements of women. It took place for the first time on March 8th, 1911. We're only halfway through, but as you'll hear, this particular episode, and Adrian specifically, moved us both deeply. So today, if you love the musical Waitress, we encourage you, in honor of Adrian, to watch the film. It's available on Hulu, Google Play, Amazon, and iTunes. Discover the raw talent and beautiful creative soul that was the genesis of your beloved musical. Or watch one of her other films. And when you finish that, tell a woman in your life how much she means to you, professionally and personally. There are so many women worthy of recognition today. But in our little corner of the world, we celebrate International Women's Day in honor of a woman who was a daughter, a wife, a mother, an actress, a writer, a filmmaker, and who still had so much left to do. For Adrian. So we left off at that point where Andy and the other family members are insisting this is not what it looks like. And at their insistence, the detectives do investigate more closely. They do examine things more closely. And this is when they found that shoe print that Ashley mm -hmm. mentioned. One source said it was on a toilet lid, mm -hmm. but two other sources mentioned it was in the bathtub. Oh, okay. Okay. The idea I got either way was that the shoe print happened when he was staging. Right. Right, this right, and he was right. standing there trying to like yeah. uh, hoist her body where he wanted it. Either way, it was this shoe print that ended up causing this case to bust wide open because the tread on that shoe print was turned out to match the sneaker of a man named Diego Pilco who worked in that building. Mm. So let's talk about what Diego. actually happened. Yeah. In November of 2006, Diego Pilco was a 19 year old illegal immigrant from Ecuador. He was working as a construction worker to help renovate another apartment in that building, which is why he was there. I'm going to jump around just a tiny bit okay. because this is how this played out. He does end up being convicted, but an interesting twist 
twist is it wasn't until 2019 when Adrian's husband, Andy, was filming this documentary that he actually found out all the true details of his wife's murder because late in this documentary, in this film, on some unspecified date in 2019, he actually went into the prison and confronted his wife's killer. Oh, gosh. And got this man to tell him what happened. What really happened. I know. It absolutely, oh, it just floored me when I read Mm. that. So apparently, if you watch the documentary, you can actually see this interview. You can see part of them talking. Andy went into, I don't know if I'll say this correctly, the name of the prison was Coxsackie Correctional Facility. It was in New York. This is where Pilko was sentenced to 25 years in prison without parole for manslaughter. And by the way, because he was illegally in the country, when he finally is released, he will be deported. Yeah. But it said that it was a several... I'm surprised he only got 25 years. Wow. Yeah. Because that was definitely murder. Oh, yes, 100%. And he he confessed to it. And they just charged him with manslaughter. But that's another story. Okay. Right. But it said that this interview with Pilko goes on for several minutes and a translator is involved because he speaks a different language. But Andy actually got him to talk about how it actually happened. Andy later said the point of that interview was to get the truth of what happened that day, which I did get. And he also told an interviewer, I knew early on that I'd one day have to meet with him to learn the truth about what he did because he had lied twice before. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. In the documentary on this interview, what we see is that Pilko tells Andy through this translator that he needed money Uh and that he had been roaming the property looking for cash and other things that he might be able to steal. So at some point he had sneaked into Adrian's office and he was rifling through her purse when she walked in and caught him red-handed. This is a quote that he said on camera. The lady came out and she ran after me. And when she started yelling at me, the only word that I heard her say was police. Right. Then he said that Adrian was trying to get to the phone and of course he thought she was calling the police so he said that he grabbed her from behind covered her mouth and told her not to call the cops another quote i lost it and i was choking her with my hand at the same time i was covering her mouth so that she wouldn't make noise i took my hand off and i let her go and then he says that he knew she was dead because quote i saw that her lips were blue so i thought oh I killed her. Oh. Then he explains how he dragged her to the bathroom and then he fashioned a noose from a bedsheet and then hung her from the shower curtain rail so that he would intentionally, quote, make it look like she had committed suicide. Mm. And apparently on the documentary, Andy actually leans forward and says, and did you think you'd gotten away with it? And Pilko looked right into the camera and said, yes. Wow. But as we know, he didn't, mainly thanks to Andy and and the rest of Adrian's family and the fact that they kept pushing. It said that after Diego Pilco was arrested, he confessed within hours. At first, he had told the authorities that he killed her because he said they were arguing about some construction noise in the building. Yeah, that's what I had heard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then he later changed the story saying that he had murdered her when she caught him trying to rob her purse. Yeah, and I heard that too. Yeah. How does her husband know that he has gotten the truth now? He says, I know I got the truth. Well, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if I can answer that, but it sounds like he felt that that he matched up with the evidence and okay. he seemed to believe that that was the final truthful story. Okay. I foreshadowed this a minute ago, but that NYPD homicide detective, Irma Rivera Duffy, who worked on the case, actually became a friend of the Shelley family mm-hmm. through this experience and appears in the documentary. And there she reveals that Diego Pilco admitted his guilt after she told him that 
that Adrian's toddler was the same age as his own niece. Mm. Somehow that hit him and he did confess and he did actually plead guilty to first degree manslaughter when he finally went to trial. The detective was relieved to be able to tell Andy about the confession and also to know that Sophie wouldn't have to go through life thinking incorrectly that her mother had died by suicide. And then Andy shared that hearing about the confession actually caused him to collapse sobbing and he said, quote, it was everything I wanted to hear. There was no way Adrian killed herself. Suicide simply wasn't possible. She was the happiest I'd ever seen her. Mm. About his decision to go visit Diego Pilco in prison, Andy explained that in addition to, to wanting to find out the truth behind Adrian's murder, the other reason he wanted to confront the killer was that he wanted to humanize his wife to Diego Pilco, her killer, so that, quote, rather than have a lasting image in his head of this panicked woman racing toward him, calling out for the police, he sees a mother, a wife, a daughter, a sister, that he understood all the moments in the last 14 years that Adrian missed, that Sophie missed, that I missed, that everyone missed. Mm. And maybe when he goes to bed at night and lies his head down and stares at the ceiling, he thinks about that and it makes him feel something that he didn't feel before. Wow. Yeah. So let's talk about the aftermath. Sadly, although Adrian would never know it, it was just weeks after her murder that Waitress got accepted into the Sundance Festival, and it was one of the top films of that prestigious film festival that year. And then, of course, as we know, it went on to become a sleeper hit when Mm -hmm. it was in the theaters, and then later it spawned this hit Broadway musical that has been nominated for so many Tonys. And an important point that one source pointed out was that this Broadway musical was also the first with an all-female principal creative team, which Mm. would have been so important to her. It would have been. That accomplishment would would have have meant so much. And then there was the impact on Adrian's family. And this was something that absolutely, I don't think I've done it justice in this episode, but doing the research over and over and over again, it talked about how Andy was doing so much of this for Sophie. Yeah. He delves into it in the documentary, apparently, if anybody looks at that. But since Sophie was just shy of three when her mom was killed, she really didn't even remember her. No. And so Andy talks about the fact that one of the challenges he faced in addition to, to trying to raise a child by himself while also struggling with this intense grief that he was feeling in those especially in those early years was figuring out how to answer questions from his daughter about her mom how to try to honor Adrian yeah. despite the fact that her whole death was surrounded with trauma I mean like this, right. is, you know, right. this is traumatic for her right. daughter right you know what it is reminding me of you said his motivation for making this was for her because she was so little and didn't remember mm-hmm. that is also one of the main reasons that Rob Robert Harling wrote Steel Magnolias Oh, because her child was so young mm-hmm. when she, when Susan, the real Shelby was named Susan, when she died, her husband got remarried very quickly mm-hmm. and he did not necessarily approve of that. But, you know, that does happen. But the little baby started calling the stepmother mom mm. and he said, I can't. Yeah. I can't have that happen where he doesn't know who his mother was and how right. wonderful she really was. So that was a lot of his motivation for writing that. Oh my gosh, this this is getting me. I have ugh. well, it it touched me mm-hmm. reading it because Andy even said that one of the most beautiful things about doing the documentary was that it helped him to have some very real conversations with Sophie, who by the way is now 18 oh, years goodness. old and a senior in high school, and he said it allowed them to to deal with some emotions, to bring up some emotions that ultimately allowed Sophie to feel closer to her mom than she'd ever felt mm. before. And so this was really a something 
something that Cathartic. he wanted to do to to honor Adrian and mm-hmm. to just kind of promote more of a relationship between mm-hmm. them, especially knowing what her daughter meant to her. Right. In the interview he gave for Forbes, Andy said, I also believe the film is the greatest gift I could ever give Sophie, and I hope it provides not only some answers, but comfort and a sense of pride as she matures into adulthood. Mm. And then, of course, in terms of Adrian's legacy as a filmmaker, Andy really wanted to honor her there, too, because he knew how passionate she was about promoting women and and women in film Mm -hmm. and, and being able to get that female perspective out there. It was not long after Adrian's death that he started the Adrian Shelley Foundation. Its mission is to support women filmmakers and playwrights. Mm -hmm. And since 2007, they have awarded over 100 production grants to women all over the world, at least one of them who has won a Best Director Academy Award. Oh, that's great. And they have had so many people involved with their work. In fact, a few of the board members over the years have included Paul Rudd, Cheryl Hines, Michelle Williams, and Carrie Russell. And the foundation has partnered with top filmmaking institutions, including Sundance, the American Film Institute, Women in Film, the Tribeca Film Institute, Columbia University. It goes on and on and on, even to Boston University, which was where Adrian went to school. But one of the main things that Andy wanted was for his wife and her accomplishments to be remembered for her professional accomplishments, but also as a wife and as a mother, not just a murder victim. That was important to him that she be seen for who she was, not as somebody who was the victim of something tragic. So to offer one final quote, Andy said, the film cements her legacy as an actor, as a writer, as a filmmaker, as a creative force, as someone who had so much left to do. I wanted people to fall in love with her. I wanted them to mourn and grieve her loss the way we do and to feel that absence. I do. He's right. Okay. Well, all that said, I think it's time for our armchair psychologist Mm -hmm. portion. Armchair psychologist. One of the things that really hit me is something that I alluded to earlier. I started out by saying that this was Adrian's story, but the more I was researching, and as I was talking about it just now, it just hits me over and over again that it was a family story. Yeah. I mean, of course, Andy's all over it. Yeah. He was so involved in pushing for further investigation, for creating this documentary, for pulling all of these interviews and clips and resources and things to be able to tell his wife's story, to go push to get the truth from the killer. I mean, Andy is all over this thing. But all of a sudden, it hit me. I was a little surprised to realize that while I didn't say her name a lot... She wasn't quoted much. Really, Sophie is almost central to everything. Yeah, they were doing all of this for Sophie. You say family. To me, her family extends to those friends Mm. that were supporting her. And I always imagine Cheryl Hines as being one of the people who is keeping her legacy alive besides her family. In 2009, I don't know if you've seen this film, but the film Serious Moonlight with Meg Ryan and Timothy Hutton. I have not. It's based on a screenplay by Adrian Shelley. (gasps) Really? And it was directed by Cheryl Hines. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I think it's dedicated to her. So I I feel like, and then Cheryl was on Mm -hmm. that board that you talked about. I think so was Carrie Russell. And so was Carrie Russell. So I feel like those two women who were in this film with her Mm -hmm. have taken it on themselves to also make sure that she continues to be out there. Even before it became a Broadway show, they were they were trying to keep her name alive. And I feel like that's to have friends that are crossing over into the family territory. Oh, I love that. And how 
I don't know, how impactful that not only are they keeping her memory alive, but they are taking it upon themselves to continue her work and her life's goals. Exactly. So think about the release date, 2009. She was killed in 2006. So Cheryl had to almost immediately go, what can I do? Mm -hmm. And she decided to make another one of her friend's screenplays into a film. Like it had to be almost immediate because it takes a few years to get that stuff made. Absolutely. Yeah, that immediacy, that's a good point because this Adrian Shelley found foundation that was almost immediately mm-hmm. too but yet it's now 2022 and it's been going on all this time yeah. and they have continued to to give this money and to support all these female and what does it say about adrian as a person that she mm-hmm. has these kind of people that she had to have been just adored yes mm-hmm. adored by everyone for them to want to say no this is not this is not the end of her story her story doesn't end in 2006 we're going to keep it going as long as we're here right what a testimony to who she was wow yeah I I love that and how great that her daughter is able to see her that way because yeah. here's this man who stole her life because he was trying to find a few dollars in yeah. her purse and and that could have been what's remembered but instead she gets to see how much her mom mattered to people mm-hmm. how much she is still pushing other women to be able to do the things they dream about to accomplish their goals yes. through these people who have picked up her cause and mm-hmm. are continuing on I just I just love that well Do we end there? I almost don't want to. I don't want to leave her story, but of course we must end at some point. I just, it's, it also, um, it reminds me of the phrase, what the enemy intended for evil, we got turned around and used for good. So this person thought that he was stealing her life, but instead this movement got activated. Instead of letting it in and stealing everything, they still were able to take it and make all these wonderful things happen. They were, yes, they were able to, to bring something good out of it. Yes. And that's something to be really applauded. Mm-hmm. So cheers to Adrian Shelley and to all of her loved ones yes. who who continued to love her and to make her dreams come true. To keep her name alive. Yes. To Adrian. To Adrian. Hey everybody, this is Ashley and Candy, and we are recording this a little bit after we made the Adrian Shelley episode, and I wanted to pop on here to tell you all and to tell Candy that Ooh. I actually watched the documentary. I watched it after we filmed our episode, and I don't I don't have a review for you per okay. se, but to say that Brian and I watched it together and we just kind of, what we had talked about, mm-hmm. the feeling of loss uh. was just so strong. And the thing that we noticed is that how even more tragic it was that her husband has video footage and a photograph from literally the night before oh, that she passed away, which was Halloween. They had a right. Halloween party. Yeah. So you see home video of her in her interacting with her daughter, <sighs> smiling, laughing. There's a picture taken of them, which just, I believe we said in the episode, you know, he said there's no way that she was suicidal. Right. And this to me was a thousand percent the evidence because this person was not she was happy. She was kissing on her baby. It was all this beautiful stuff. And the documentary is done in a way where he's kind of doing it to kind of tell his daughter who mm, she was. And right. his, his daughter, I think, is now 18. But at the time the documentary mm-hmm. was being filmed, she was about 15 or 16 in that where he was editing it. And I don't know what he did before this, but it was one of the shots they had was of him, I would assume, at her editing station, I don't think he would have gotten his own. And he's watching video footage of her up on the screen. And it was mm. just this image of just like, he just still 12 years later looks so heartbroken. Oh. 
And something else that they talked about was that her father died at 40. And so think about her mother. We may have talked about this as an episode. It's been been a few Mm -hmm. weeks since we recorded that episode. But just think about her mother that was lost her Mm -hmm. husband at 40 and lost her daughter. But Adrian always had this sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. There was somebody who said in the in the video like, "Oh, Adrian, you know, some things take time," or blah blah blah. And she's they said she turned to them and went, "I don't have that kind of time." Oh wow. Yeah, like so she, she almost had a sense. Yeah, like she just needed. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. And throughout it, she was making a documentary early on about what it means to be happy. So they have a lot of this footage of her talking to the camera and what she feels about being a mother and how she feels about her life. And it's just the whole thing just just compounded Mm -hmm. how much loss was experienced from her. But I just wanted to come on here and tell you all that it was a fantastic documentary and you just come away from it with just, it's, I think it's really important to watch to, to think, listen to our podcast if you can, or watch this first and then come back and listen. But it's a great companion piece Mm -hmm. to the fullness of her story so that you can see her and see what she looked like and how her little daughter looks so much like her, but she's like a beautiful combination of the husband and, and Adrian. I love that. What a beautiful tribute because mm-hmm. that's what he said he wanted to yeah. do. He didn't want her to be the victim and yeah. the person. Yeah. He wanted her to be remembered for who she was and yeah. everything she accomplished and what an amazing woman and, and mom and, and mm-hmm. career person she was. So yeah. kudos to him. It really was. And another thing that struck us is when he went and talked to the murderer, it didn't seem like he was as sorry as mm-hmm. he should have been. Remorseful. And I don't know. I don't know how somebody needs to look to be sorry, but he only got 25 years. He's going to be out about the same time that she died. He will also be deported, though. Oh, okay. Yes, immediately. Okay. But it's just, it was such a tragic event. And watching this both confirmed the tragedy of it, but also made her come Mm -hmm. back to life and say, this is who she was. Oh, goodness. Mm -hmm. So I recommend it. It's on HBO Max. Awesome. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Cheers. Cheers. This episode of Scandal Water was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown. That's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. All music was written, composed, performed, and mixed by Josh Martin. The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams. While our website was developed by Joshua Reith. If you like what you hear and you want to help keep the Scandal Water brewing, please go to our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com. Just click on your podcatcher of choice, then hit follow to subscribe. And while you're there, you might as well leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget, it's always more fun when you share your tea with others. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests advertisers or clearly professional psychologists thanks for listening